Church, welcome to our Spring Serve Sunday. Hard to believe, but Easter is just a few weeks away. We'll be having two services at 9 and 10.30 with our annual Easter egg hunt right in between at 10 a.m. The following Sunday, we'll be having our Spring Baptism Service. This is one of our favorite services of the year and we can't wait. If you want to get baptized or would just like more information about baptism, feel free to send us an email at prodigalchurchfresno at gmail.com or reach out to any of our staff. They'd love to talk to you about it. Our second annual Love the World auction is basically here and we could still use more desserts for our dessert auction. So bake something or buy something and get it to Pastor Brittany. And just a reminder, get your tickets today because they go up in price tomorrow. We'll see you Friday night. Next week, we'll begin a brand new sermon series called Skeptics Welcome and this series will carry us all the way to Easter. If you're newer to Prodigal, we'd like to encourage you to head to our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com, and fill out our digital connect card. This is our main communication tool we use to keep everyone informed of what's happening here at Prodigal. If you'd like to give to Prodigal, you can do so on our website, on the app, or at a giving kiosk in the lobby on your way out of church today. Thanks for joining us today for Surf Sunday. Have a great one. Hey everybody, this is Paul, and I have the uh, pleasure to uh, serve at Prodigal Church uh, doing music and uh, it has been an incredible uh, joy and privilege to be a part of this team. Um, I get to play with incredible musicians who are a heck of a lot of fun to be around as well. Um, and I get to use my gifts and talents uh, to bring glory to God and um, hopefully draw others to him. So um, I love serving, love being a part of the team of Pride. I serve because Jesus is the greatest servant of all and we are to follow his example. I also serve because we are all part of the body and we all must do our part. One special blessing for me is working with our young youth. Being with them and seeing their childlike faith motivates me to have the same type of faith and love for Jesus. Hey Prodigal Church, this is Michael Contreras. Some of you may know me as the drummer who plays a little bit too hard and a little bit too loud on Sunday mornings. Um, I started serving at Prodigal about two and a half years ago and I just love it. Um, using my God-given talents, I started playing drums when I was about six years old at church and um, I just love being able to praise God and use my talents for Him. So I thank Pastor John and Eric and the worship team for allowing me to use my talents and, um, you know, and volunteer for church. I have had the privilege of serving in children's ministries for the past eight years. Although there are too many to count, one of the one of the blessings that stands out the most is that I could be having the toughest week, but the moment my kids walk into the classroom with smiles and hugs, all is forgotten. How blessed am I that I get to be there and experience their excitement and watch their eyes light up as they talk about Jesus and their love for Him. Teaching these young kids is truly a blessing in itself, and it fills my heart and reminds me this is why I'm here. What's up, Prodigal? I am Scotty, and I serve on the worship team. Why? do I serve? I serve because I get an opportunity to play music with friends um, and I also get a chance to help bring people into a place where they can worship God and that is anywhere you serve you are allowing people to have a moment where they can come into a space and spend time with God and focus on God. And that is what I serve. I saw a story this week about a young couple in love on their engagement day. 
And unbeknownst to the bride-to-be, the young man had prearranged her parents hiding behind a beautiful hill, and they were to come out and surprise her after the proposal. It was a picturesque landscape as a backdrop. Everything was in place. And when the moment was just right, the young man dropped to one knee and asked the love of his life for her hand in marriage. And when she said yes, she started to cry. And then as mom came over the hill and surprised her, she cried even more. Everything was perfect, except that the father of the bride stood on top of the hill with a bold sign that read, say no. Now, when the bride-to-be posted this photo and story, the video went viral. The father-in-law was a bit of a jokester. Now, you never know what you're going to get when you marry into another family. I am certainly lucky enough to have the greatest father-in-law on planet Earth. And today, we're going to look at the most famous father-in-law in the Bible. Now, there's not many of them, all right? But I think number one has to be the father-in-law of Moses, and his name was Jethro, okay? Killer name as well, Jethro. Now, Moses had lived with Jethro and shepherded Jethro's flocks for 40 years in the land of Midian, so they were pretty close. But then one day, Moses has an encounter with God through a burning bush while shepherding his flock. While doing the everyday mundane thing, this bush is on fire and speaks to Moses. And God tells Moses to free his people from oppression in Egypt. And Moses says goodbye to his family that he's had over the past 40 years and says, I've got to do this. Uh, all signs indicate that Jethro supported him in his call. And so after let my people go, after he goes before Pharaoh, after the plagues, after the parting of the Red Sea, years go by and the freed Israelites are being led by Moses in the wilderness. Moses left as a shepherd and returned as a leader of a nation. And so they're out in the wilderness and Moses is reunited with his family. Exodus chapter 18. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Now, not sure if you know this or remember it, but Jethro was a priest of Midian. It was a different region. He didn't serve Yahweh, the God of Israel. And yet here, we see him praising God, declaring his greatness over and above all other gods, and also offering sacrifices. So is he a convert? Did he already become a convert? Is this actually his conversion? Or is Yahweh simply greater among all the other gods? And he's going to go back to Midian and do what he's always done. We don't know. But us not knowing 
doesn't disqualify any advice that Jethro gives to his son-in-law, Moses. And he does give some advice. I'll summarize what happens next. The very next day, Moses takes his father-in-law with him to work. Okay, it's take your father-in-law to work day. And now it seems a bit awkward, especially now, right? Like my father-in-law goes to our church, but it would be really weird if I took him kind of throughout my regular day. So Jethro watches Moses and Jethro sees some of the actions of Moses and he sees that it's not very smart. So he's going to offer his son-in-law some advice, free of charge. Now, put yourself in the situation, okay? It could get weird, right? What does Jethro know? He isn't leading the people of God. Moses is, and he's done a pretty good job for himself. Why should he have to listen to his father-in-law? Dude's been in Midian, where it's safe, for the last 80 years. How would you respond? How do you respond when people give you advice? Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't handle it all that well. Sometimes when Sarah gives me advice about a certain situation, particularly in ministry, I react in a very immature way. I take her advice as an insult to me. Like, you don't think I'm good at my job? You don't trust me to handle the situation correctly? I'm good at my job. I can handle this situation. How many of you are like me in that situation? How many of you get all defensive? Do you know how destructive that line of thinking is? When we close off the advice from others or when we are unable to listen and discern the advice of others, we are most often missing God's megaphone to us. Because don't tell Sarah, but she's most often right. And so what is Jethro's issue with Moses? And how does Moses respond to the advice of his father-in-law? Verse 13, the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you morning till evening? What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Okay, stop right there. Some of you, that's what you need to hear today. The work is too heavy for you you cannot handle it alone. So what does Jethro tell Moses to do about it? Verse 19, listen to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and his instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judge for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, 
they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. What good advice his father-in-law gave him. Moses, you're killing yourself hearing every case all day, every day, from every person. You need to delegate. Uh, these bad results flowed from Moses's style. One, he was overworked and simply couldn't cope with all he had to do. Two, the people were deprived of immediate attention and swift justice that they needed. And three, the elders and other competent individuals were not given their opportunity to use their gifts, their talents. And Moses himself couldn't see it. And so he needed his father-in-law to show it to him. And so what was Moses' response to his father-in-law's intrusive advice? Is it, zip it, dad. I'm in charge here. I know what I'm doing. Verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. God uses this Midianite priest to help Moses be a better leader. But why does Moses need to have advice given to him through such a channel? Okay, after all, Moses is God's chosen instrument, okay? God has spoken to him supernaturally numerous times. Remember the bush? Uh, he is on this intimate basis with God. Why does God not simply reveal to Moses directly that a division of labor is necessary, okay? You're doing too much. To be honest, I don't know why God doesn't do that. But it seems as though God is wanting to teach something more than just delegation to Moses. He is teaching Moses about receiving wise counsel from others, from those in leadership, and from those that are not, from those that are a part of Israel, and from those outside of Israel. Good advice is good advice, whether it comes from a Christian or not. Some of us need to hear that. And what Jethro offers to Moses is very good advice. If you're doing the job of two people, then there is someone who isn't getting to do their job. So you're not only wearing yourself out, but you are cheating another person out of growing in their ministry, in their gifting. Now, Let's bring this back home to the local church. Statistics show that the average church has about 10% of the people doing about 90% of the work. A church once put in their bulletin, the church mourns death of prominent member. The church was saddened this past week to learn of the death of one of its most prominent members, someone else. Someone's passing creates a vacancy that will be difficult to fill. Else has been with us for many years. Someone did far more than a normal person's share of the work. 
Whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, or a meeting to attend, one name was on everyone's list. Let someone else do it. It was common knowledge that someone else was among the most generous givers in the church. Whenever there was a financial need, everyone just assumed that someone else would make up the difference. Someone else was a wonderful person, sometimes appearing to be superhuman, but a person can only do so much. Were the truth known, everyone expected too much out of someone else. Now, someone else is gone and we wonder what we're going to do. Someone else left a wonderful example to follow, but who is going to do the things that someone else did? As our church continues to grow, our needs grow as well. And our vision here at Prodigal is big. And for us to continue to be who God has called us to be in our community and to our world, we need you. Would you consider volunteering once a month? Maybe that's set up or tear down or PC kids ministry or worship or tech or audiovisual, hospitality, coffee cart. But here at Prodigal, we want to take the advice of the Midianite priest, the father-in-law of Moses, Jethro, by doing more together. Now we've made it really easy to sign up, okay? You can go on the Prodigal app and just click volunteer. You can go to our website or walk outside on a Sunday morning and write your name down on a piece of paper. Uh, Moses was a great leader of people and Moses needed Jethro and Moses needed others as well. Let's continue our story. Verse eight, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now the book of Deuteronomy gives us a little bit more information on how this attack came about. Deuteronomy 25. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and they attacked all of those lagging behind. They had no fear of God. It says that Amalek attacked those who lagged behind. They attacked the stragglers, the most vulnerable, the sick, the old, the young. Moses hears about it, and so he says to Joshua, choose some of the men to go and fight. Now, who's going to fight? And how are they going to fight? Uh, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. It wasn't because of their uprising that they were free from Egypt. Israel didn't have an army. They didn't have any weapons. Or did they? Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus points out that the Hebrews got the weapons from the Egyptians who had drowned in the Red Sea. According to Jewish tradition, God did a second miracle at the Red Sea. He made all of the metal swords, spears, and armor float to the top of the water and to the banks for Israel to be armed in the desert. So God provided armor and weapons for them. If God calls you to battle, he always provides what you need. And so Moses says to Joshua, 
You get the men to fight. I'll go on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. That's the battle plan. That's the military strategy. See, there is no militaristic training in Israel. And when you look at Israel in terms of warfare, they never even retain a standing army. Their recruitment policies sound ridiculous. Here are some of the things on the who doesn't have to fight for Israel list. Did you get married recently? Stay home. Did you buy a vineyard recently? Stay home. Are you afraid to fight? Stay home. Okay. There's no draft in Israel. The emphasis over and over again seems to be that God is going to fight for Israel. And the armies are only a small piece of the puzzle. They're not even close to the most important piece. So joining the army of Israel, it was an act of faith, not merely an act of valor or patriotism or duty. And so Moses and Joshua just gather the willing. They have to learn that they can trust God with this. But part of that means that they have to learn that they can't trust themselves. Did you catch that? For the people of God to learn that they can rely on God with something. Part of that means that they must learn that they can't rely on themselves. Okay? One more time for the back row. For you to learn that you can trust God with something, a necessity of that, and it's, it's the hardest lesson, is that you cannot trust yourself, your own power, your own ability, your own knowledge, your own giftedness. Either give it to God or don't, but don't straddle the fence. Don't offer it to God only to never let it go, never letting it out of your hands. Okay, back to the battle. Verse 10, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up. One on one side, one on the other. So that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Very interesting story. And the story has marveled the people of God for thousands of years. Joshua fought, but Moses, his brother, Aaron, and her, okay, and her is actually a him, they go up on a hill away from it all. And as long as Moses' hands were raised, Israel was winning. But when he lowered them, the Amalekites were winning. And so Aaron and her get a stone so that Moses can sit down. And Aaron and her held up his hands and they remained raised. The reason for Moses' gesture has long puzzled theologians and scholars. It could be a smiting or a warlike gesture, or it could be a posture of prayer. We're not told, but it seems to be that there's some kind of connection happening here between Moses' action on the hill and the battle that is happening in the valley. 
and I'm not sure the lesson here is with Moses, Aaron, and her, that it's all about intercessory prayer. But I am convinced that we are connected to others. And then verse 13, and I love this part. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So wait, was it Joshua and the army, or was it Moses, Aaron, and her? And the answer, of course, is yes. Because all the tension is on the hill, and yet when it comes to giving credit for the victory, it is given to Joshua. Many years ago, Bishop McConnell told a story of something that happened in a little fishing village on the New England coast. Uh, on a winter's day, a storm arose so suddenly that the boats were still out to sea. The men rowed desperately to reach the harbor for safety. Everybody made it except for one old man named John. He had almost reached the mouth of the harbor when a great wave came along, dashed his tiny boat up against a rock. He managed to pull himself up on a tiny ledge and hang on for dear life. His friends all saw what happened, but there wasn't anything they could do about it. It was growing dark, the seas were high, all they could do was wait. They built a bonfire on the shore, kept it burning all night long. Every once in a while, someone would throw their hat up in the air, hoping that the old man would see it. At last, dawn began to break and the winds began to die down, so they put out their boats and were able to get close enough to see that John was still there. So they put him onto the boats and brought him back to shore. And when the old man had been warmed by the fire and had been given something to eat, they asked, what was it like out there in the night? He said, well, it was the longest night of my life. I made out pretty well at first. Then a big, came, a big wave came along, flattened me right out, and I fell. I felt myself slipping. I was worn out. I was ready to give up. My old man, he died at sea. And I decided my fate was to be the same. But just as I was ready to let go, I looked through the darkness and saw somebody's hat going up into the air. And I said to myself, if there's somebody out there who cares enough about old John to stay out on a night like this, I guess I'm not going to quit yet. Just then, the winds seemed to ease up. I got a fresh hold and well, here I am. That's the picture in Exodus chapter 17. Aaron and her are holding up the hands of Moses. And that's a picture of being interconnected with God's people. There is a connectedness that we have where our actions, our prayers, our integrity have a real concrete effect on others in our world. Again, I'm not convinced that this is only a lesson on prayer but many scholars certainly see it that way. And in studying this week, I came across this quote by Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian watchmaker who hid Jews in her home and helped many escape the Nazis in World War II. She and her family were eventually placed in the concentration camp at Ravensbrück. She said this about prayer. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire.
God has a way of bringing you back to where you started, reminding you what it's all about. And what God started in you, God will bring to completion. Is God your steering wheel or your spare tire? God, I pray that you would help us to yeah, show the interconnectedness of your people that we would serve together. Because us together can do so much more than us alone. So God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, and that serving would become a regular, life-giving part of our life. Help use us to change this community and this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us online at prodigalchurchfresno.com. If you'd like to begin serving or at least have questions about serving, you can fill out the form on our Prodigal Church app or on our website. Thanks so much. We hope you have an amazing week. And go to the auction. It's this Friday. Buy your tickets if you haven't done it yet. Tickets prices go up tonight at 9 o'clock. Grace and peace in the Middle East.